0: Oh, and welcome back to the Football Hipsters podcast. My name is Chris. I am your host, of course. And as promised, we are back after the first set of games to have a little chinwag about what we've seen and what we expect from round two. Now, slight disclaimer, dear listener, fully aware that at the time of recording this game, there has already been one game played in the second stage. And in fact, I think there's another game underway so we're just going to pretend those haven't happened, all right? So we're going to go over the first few games, first of all, and we'll meet in the middle. I've got Josh and I've got Tom with me to break down the first group games action. How are you doing, guys?
1: Howdy. Yeah, good, thank you, man. How are you doing? Good, good. Very hot. Very
0: hot and yeah. hastily uh, <laughs> raced home to, com- to com- complete this podcast. So hopefully our listeners uh enjoy it if they don't then well there's nothing i can do about it right let's jump in then guys uh we've got uh, quite a lot to discuss so we'll start with the opening game we had the opening ceremony of course and then uh we had bocelli and, and all of that wonderful jazz well, it wasn't actually jazz was it and then we arrived at turkey nil italy three and that was of course in group a and the following day we saw wales and switzerland draw one apiece uh josh start with you on this one in group a what did the uh, the first games tell us about these these four sides? Turkey, the under the underdogs for the tournament. Everyone said they got spanked, and uh, mm. Wales and Switzerland served up a bit of a stinker. Would it be fair to say?
2: Yeah, I think the uh, certainly on Turkey, I, a couple of us had mentioned them as dark horses, wants to look out for, but they certainly disappointed for us. Um, I say all credit to this Italy side, though. Uh, it's it's a side that I think will be going. You know, they're in that kind of between tournament favourites and dark horses, you know, that kind of in-between zone. I think that's where Italy are. I think they'd be disappointed if they don't make the semis. Um, and for that kind of reason, you can't really put them down as a dark horse. But they looked superb. Some of the football they were playing, this wasn't a Italian side that meets all the stereotypes of old where you'd expect, you know, the uh, Bonucci, Barzagli, Chiellini back three with Buffon behind them and they're going right with one nil up see you later this was a side that went for the jugular and to be honest i can't wait to see them play again um which i believe is this evening against switzerland uh at time of recording so yeah they're a team that i'm really looking forward to seeing um turkey i'd say less about them i would say uh, the um yeah, kind of avoid that one wales and switzerland that was very much a um it was an interesting game for watching it uh, i'm sure that's how you kind of say uh that it was not very good to say it's an interesting watch <laughs> instead um but i thought there was some real passion from wales um it was a uh, switzerland had their chances to kind of finish off but Wales kind of showed the spirit that we saw at the previous euros where they managed to get uh, so far in the tournament that got them through again for this one with Kiefer Moore bringing an equaliser in. And I think, I think both sides will be disappointed, to be honest. Um, Wales will be disappointed to concede uh, with Mbolo, who I thought was superb through the whole game. But Switzerland also really shouldn't have conceded so easily and shouldn't have been under so much pressure Um as I say, it was a very kind of neutral game uh, to hit the Swiss uh, stereotype.
0: I think it's. Yeah. I think. I think, like you said, that that is the stereotype of Switzerland, is not it? Like the defensive kind of, not exactly exciting style. They threatened to to blow Wales away in that mm. particular game, but it ended up not happening. And uh, yeah, I think uh, as far as the Welsh go, I think they, they do need a result in mm. their next game, which, as you say, is sort of underway as, as we speak. No spoilers. Um, Tom, I just want to, before we move to the next group, I just want to get your thoughts on Italy because they're one of the teams that um, I think we all agree that Turkey very much disappointed. But Italy, they showed up, didn't they? I think it's the first time they scored three goals in a in a group game in the Euros. Is it ever? I think yeah, it ever. Yeah, yeah, I heard
1: that stat as well. Yeah, wow. no, they, they, they impressed me, to be honest. I hadn't seen much of them in the build-up to the game um, until my mate told me that um, I think it was they've conceded seven goals and scored 75 in their last 27 games and haven't lost a single one of them. Um, so before that went off, I, I was really eager to have a look and see how how that was the case. And then to be fair to them, as much as as Turkey weren't great, um, Italy just, they. I mean, they can only do with, uh, they can only really do what they've got in front of them. Um, and they kind of pick, pick them apart left, right and centre. They dominate the game for large parts of it. Um and like you mentioned, they, they have a, a tendency sometimes to to sit back, play very rigid, but it was very much a an open style flowing uh, Italian side, which I haven't personally been very used to seeing. But it was really refreshing to watch um, those players come together in Signia, had a really good game. Obviously, he's got to be playing well if he's keeping, um, is it Chiesa from... Yeah, um, on yeah. the bench he's he's had a really really good season himself so I was surprised not to see him in the starting lineup but when when I saw um, how him and Immobile were playing together in that fixture <laughs> um, it just looked yeah very uh, Mancini's definitely got a really good team together and they they definitely seem to buy into his approach the style of play that they're playing um, everyone seems to be on the same page and it's shown in that in that first game there
0: yeah, yeah, agree. good points, and um, Spinazzola was the other one that stood out, probably unexpectedly, I think, to most, because I don't think he was particularly fancy to play most of the games, but yeah, I thought he was he was excellent, and Italy are certainly one of those clubs to, to probably keep a close eye on, uh, or countries, I should say, not clubs, and they uh, play, as Josh said again tonight, against Switzerland, so we'll see what the, uh, what the follow-up is. Let's move on to the next group, on Saturday the 12th of June, we saw... The uh, afternoon game we'll come on to in a second for obvious reasons, but I do want to talk Belgium 3, Russia nil First of all, Josh, uh, Belgium, I kind of tipped them as one of the outside, uh, you know, behind France for me as, as one of the, the teams to watch. They blew Russia away. How much of this was how good Belgium were and how much of it was how bad Russia were? Because Russia <laughs> was pretty terrible, weren't
2: they? Um, oh, I would say six of one and half a dozen of the other. Um, yeah. Having just watched uh finland play russia um i'll leave that result to the uh next next pod uh you know i don't want to jump the gun on that one but let's just say yeah this russia side is not very good at all um Mm. lukaku was in his absolute element here this was you know to trawl again and I kind of stereotype this was Lukaku up against a poor side smashing them two or three goals um he was just absolutely phenomenal phenomenal uh, there from non-imal. I can't Did even say the say so word now. <laughs> <Phenomenal>. <laughs> anyway he was really good yes. uh, I think everything that was good about Belgium was was him uh a bit of a nasty injury uh for Castagna, whose tournament is now over yeah um yeah Mounier came also. on and got it yeah it's a fractured cheekbone another from, one from memory yeah absolutely um and also um shurkov as well picked up an injury and that's his tournament over but i yeah. think uh at his age i think that kind of injury is almost like straight to the uh glue factory young man um, yeah in footballing terms yeah. um however minor the knock he may end up with but um yeah i, I thought belgium was superb and i don't think they really got out of first gear uh, to really brush aside Russia, um, and I don't think with anybody in the group, to be honest, they will be wholly worried with anyone there. Um, such was their performance. But I suppose we want to move on to the the biggest um, talking point for all good reasons um, and bad reasons as well. That's the other game, the other yeah. game um, that took place earlier and later than the uh, Belgium Russia game.
0: Yes, absolutely. And I'll definitely get both of your thoughts on this. Um, Tom, I'll, I'll start with you. Um, I don't know if you were watching this this game live, but I mean, let's not pretend nobody knows what happened in this game. I'm pretty sure everybody, whether you're a football fan or not, would know that we were watching Denmark against Finland. Um, it was about five minutes before halftime. I'll be completely honest. I didn't even see the incident happen. And I, I almost feel bad admitting this on air, but I actually had to rewind the live coverage because... All I could sort of determine was that a player was injured, and I didn't. I I assumed it was like, "quote unquote," a bad injury. Little did I know that obviously Christian Eriksen had had suffered a cardiac arrest on the pitch. Um, Having sort of rewound the footage and just seen him fall to the ground, that was bad enough. But then the the global coverage continued. I don't think I'm exaggerating when I say that seeing a player receiving CPR live on a television broadcast is one of the most harrowing things I've ever seen on television in a live broadcasting session, C- certainly in sport. And I've witnessed the Eduardo leg break, the um, the Abu Diaby leg break, the Aaron Ramsey leg break, but this just felt just completely visceral. What, what was your reaction to it when it happened in front of you up in front of your eyes?
1: Yeah, so like I assume a lot of people, I wasn't actually watching the game at the time. It only came through a message of a mate that he was saying like Christian Eriksen's collapsed, um, and he's been down for five six minutes. So I then went um, went home, switched the telly on, and I was kind of watching it all unfold because it unfolded. It was maybe over the the space of maybe ten to fifteen minutes this was going on on the pitch. Um, so I didn't see the in- initial fall, but I watched everything pretty much afterwards. Um, and like you mentioned about seeing the seeing everything on the. On the camera i know there was a huge outroar for uh, people wanting the heads of the production team that were um covering it because he was on the floor obviously his teammates you saw the like the circle around him and um they had like the the white sheets as well which actually from uh, what i was told were actually uh, finland fan flags um, yeah. that they threw to them to allow them to have have some sort of privacy because when when i went over and i watched the clips they'd actually he collapsed and then they were starting, the, the production team were, was zooming in on him when he was on the yeah. floor. And obviously it was it was one of those falls when you see it back, it's really uncomfortable to watch. Like it's really not one of those, I mean, I've seen a lot of bad tackles with players that have leg breaks. And, but this, this thing kind of, it hits different when you see it. It's a really, un, uh, I can't really put a word together for it, it's, but it's just uncomfortable to watch. Like his legs give way, he hits the floor and he literally just doesn't budge. Like nothing moves. His teammate, um, Simon Kier as well, uh, I know he got a lot of love, rightfully so, for his response. Um, and is it Anthony Taylor, the referee as well? Which uh, I believe it was his his first major Euro game as well. So a big shout out to him as well for for being as responsive as he did because it was I think it was less than five seconds before he blew that whistle and then everyone was coming over because um, it's such a, a random uh, event that you're never going to really see for a considerable amount of time. I think it happened with uh, Fabrice Muamba quite a while ago. Yeah, like um, in so as well. Yeah, so that that awareness kind of came to the front again and it's come forward with this event but it was yeah, it was such a it was so weird like I had a huge amount of like anxiety and I felt I when they released the news that he was okay I've never felt I can't remember the last time I felt that much relief because it was mm. it was mortifying seeing that with a a guy who obviously plays football and loves it he's he's fit as anything and then to suddenly hit the floor and next thing you know he's fighting for his life is is just mind-boggling. Um, and seeing the scenes again, like where they they panned over to his wife or his, his wife or his girlfriend, who was in absolute hysterics, again, I think it was it was a bit poor showing, really. Um, it's a, It was a very private moment, really, that it should have been... If it was anything else, like I saw a tweet on Twitter about if it's a streaker or if it's something to do with foul language, that production team pans out straight away and has nothing to do with it. But... For some bizarre reason, with this one, it seemed to have a, a spotlight shone on it for for large parts. Um, but I'm just incredibly relieved that he's okay. Obviously, I don't want to I don't want to get too far ahead and think that oh, he's, he's perfectly fine. I, th- I believe he's still undergoing tests, and they're just making sure that everything's all good with him. Um, but yeah, the relief the relief that I felt after that moment um, yeah I can't explain. It was because it was such a such a horrific thing to, to to even just to watch on telly. So I can't <laughs> imagine what his his friends and family and teammates were were thinking at all.
0: No, no, I think that's, that's very well said. And, and Josh, what was your sort of thoughts on it? And also, if you want to just touch on your views in terms of the, what should have happened, because I think you're on the same lines as me, you know, that UEFA have not come out smelling of roses after all. I think Kasper Schmeichel's come out and said that, mm. you know, they were giving, given two options, neither of which were acceptable. And there's a 48-hour rule in place for coronavirus infection rates. But if a player has a cardiac arrest, you're expected to play the game within 40 hours. It makes zero sense.
2: Yeah, um, I think I completely echo everything Tom said. I was um, fortunate or unfortunate enough to be watching live at that point. Um, And yeah, it's it's something that, as we've mentioned with the production team, I think that uh, certainly local production teams weren't uh, broadcasting that game. So uh, I think BBC had it in the UK. Uh, It wasn't their camera crew. It was a stream from UEFA. Uh, I think there are some things... Personally, I think they could have done. Um, but then also, are you going to push it straight back to a studio team? What are a studio team going to be doing? They're going to be watching that and you're going to be watching people react to it. And I think that's just as bad, you know, watching, yeah. I suppose, Gary Lineker. Um, I think it was Micah Richards. And I can't remember the third pundit. I want to see it. it was only Luco, Or was it Alex it's Scott? It's, yeah, um,
0: who was visibly distressed by it. Um, yeah,
2: absolutely. And I think, yeah, Shining you know switching the cameras from that to uh watching three people reacting to it is you know just as bad Mm. um and so i can completely understand why they didn't bring it straight to the studio but uh, you know uh, as tom's already highlighted that there's something the director could do in terms of moving to a camera that's in just a you know a vacant position or uh you move to a helicopter shot there's plenty of other things that could have happened in that time um whilst it was going on um but in terms of as you alluded to uh i think it was first it was peter schmeichel on uh uk breakfast television that yes first hinted at um the options that were given i was i wasn't that um sure that it was right initially before this had even come out that the game continued in the evening uh, mm. a bit like the concussion protocol you yeah. know you don't ask exa- well exactly you don't ask the player that's just been knocked unconscious if he's ready to play on you take mm. that position out of his hands and i think again this should have been a decision taken out of the player's hands they said that you know the two choices they were given was after it was, you know, they were given the okay that Christian Erickson, you know, had regained consciousness and was in, uh, yeah, being looked after, That their two options were, we'll play the game this evening, or sorry, we'll finish the game this evening, or we will finish the game on Sunday. And the players responses were, from what we're told from reports were, well, we're not going to be, we won't sleep tonight from what we've seen. So the best of the bad options we've been given is we play the game, you know, this evening at uh, this uh, play the game this evening at that point, which should be stated as well. The game was at nil nil. Yeah. Nobody had an advantage at that point Um in the game, other than you could would say Denmark were, they looked fantastic at that point. Um Finland were really kind of holding on. There were a couple of opportunities where they should have, Arguably have scored um against Finland, and we're definitely the dominating team, but I don't think anybody would have begrudged um even the fans that were in the stadium, you know getting them to sit on and see what they've just witnessed as well. There'll be like counseling in place for um uh, the players for what they've seen you know they have team psychologists uh now a lot of them I don't know what anybody especially the fans that uh, were front and center um from anybody who's taken a first aid course that you know you don't realize how harrowing cpr actually is i uh, yeah. don't want to go into any details because you know you don't know what time people are listening to this and how levels of squeamishness but just say yeah cpr isn't a pretty thing no. um sort of have witnessed that as well i think there's got to be something in place for those fans and for the two options to be well he's all right um and your options, we're giving you an option, but fundamentally what we're saying is you're playing this game.
1: Yeah, This game yeah, is
2: nice continuing. Um, the, the thing you've got a choice to is how you say yes to continuing the game. And that isn't a decision, really, for them to make. Uh, arguably, I think we're all sitting here uh, as neutrals saying that game should have been a nil-nil. You s- that's it. Uh, mm-hmm. The fact that there's, there's rumors, I don't know how substantial um so i will say there are rumors that if denmark had said they didn't want to continue playing the game they would have been given a three nil loss. loss
0: yeah i
2: exactly. think that just yeah and especially as only what two months ago there was a big um pr thing for uefa being victims of the dastardly what was it 16 clubs also, for even daring to build a super league and move yeah. away from UEFA's governments. Mm-hmm. That's done, done all of that work from certainly <laughs> outlets in the UK. Um, I remember Sky and BT running huge campaigns on how it would be awful for them. Not mm-hmm. a single word from them condemning this act though, or this, uh, these options that they've been given of how, how you would, uh, basically replay this game when arguably you have someone there with I know this is asking a lot in UEFA someone with a heart and someone with a brain to (laughs) to say fundamentally no for the welfare of the players no way especially as the season we've just come off the back of as well and this tournament that some would be saying you know why is it even happening because of the season that we've just witnessed in terms of how how many games have been in this season, uh, how close they've been, the lack of rest for these players and for a person or a player with no prior medical um, issues regarding his heart to have a cardiac arrest. Yeah. And for them to go. I just think is. Just there needs to be some kind of inquiry into it. And I would love to see somebody prominent in the media just to be pushing it. And it's just not something we're seeing. And for me, that is one of the things that has to come out of it. Um, A bit like with Fabrice Moramba, we saw that. There was then a big campaign to get defibrillators in, even at local level. Um, You know, you can go into the tiniest Sunday league club. There'll, there'll, There'll be a defibrillator on that pitch somewhere. Yeah. they will have one um because of what's happened in there um and that's one of the big things that I think needs to come out for this as well is just player welfare and mm. uh, we saw Lukaku had given in his celebration a uh you know big shout out to Christian Eriksen as well after seeing that and him saying that even he wasn't you know he wasn't necessarily fully prepared to be going into playing Belgium Russia and he only witnessed it on the tv yeah, he wasn't there like the, you know, the um, twenty-one other players on the pitch, uh, and for me, yeah, I think there's just a wider, a wider sense of something else needs to be done there because it was absolutely farcical, and yeah, I can't believe UEFA even contemplated that they should be restarting this game, um, and I think everybody, even say for Finland this is the first tournament they've ever qualified for and it's their first win
0: yeah and now and we're not
2: talking about it we're not talking about it at all and there should be some credit for them you know once the game restarted they took their goal well uh they were fortunate the huyberg missed a penalty Mm. as well uh i think on the 69th minute and there was a chance for that to go through but it just all seemed rather immaterial in the end and you've got to feel sorry a little bit for the Finnish fans that that it is just like a their biggest moment moment in their footballing history at the moment is just not seen at all
0: yeah yeah Um, yeah I think I think between you you've you've all perfectly nailed it and I, I, I think the one thing that we will all agree on is it's just fantastic news that he is he's doing well and as Tom touched on, there's no guarantee that he'll have a, okay. a future in terms of in the game. Um, you would imagine probably not. But people like, I think it's Daily Blind has, has mm-hmm. had similar problems and he's still a professional. So I think it just brings it home as scary when somebody who is, as Tom said, like so fit and healthy can just drop like that. And it was just, yeah, I mean, to, to think that we've witnessed three in our lifetimes... Well certainly my lifetime. I think you, you three of them may be the same. I don't know, Tommy, you might be a bit young for for Vivian Foe, but yeah, I mean it's 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 for me it's three too many times. And it def-
1: oh, sorry, sorry Chris, God. I was gonna say it it definitely seems to um kind of bring back the humanization of footballers. I definitely think yeah. over with all the money in the game um as it floats about uh, i know you've mentioned it on previous pods footballers get treated like machines obviously the more you pay them well the more games they got to play because they're getting paid so you know they can they can do these kind of things and this definitely for a lot of people i think has brought brought everything back down to earth to to show kind of how the expectations on footballers at the end of the day they're still human beings as much as the rest of us they just earn a lot more money um, but it doesn't make them any more or less of a human than we are um so the the fact that it, it took away everything from football and it just became a, a case of wanting to see a, a bloke go back to his wife and see his kids grow up. Um, yeah. it, it, it stripped everything away. And I had a I don't know if it was just because of the order that I saw stuff in, but it, it almost seemed when when it first came out that he was okay, there was it almost seemed like some parts of the media were pushing this narrative of, oh, Christian's rang the team and he said, yeah, guys, go on, go out there and get the win and made it this all happy-go-lucky kind of approach. And then I think it was, the, was it the manager that came out after the game and said, well, we didn't even have a choice. And then as soon as that came out, everyone was just, especially myself, was absolutely livid because I almost bought into that side of, oh, well, Christian said, go for it, go for it. So, you know, the players might feel a bit more inclined to do it, even... As difficult as it is, but then to find out that they're cornered and they've got to pick between the lesser of two evils, whether it's today or tomorrow, was just, yeah, farcical for me.
0: Yeah, yeah, I couldn't couldn't agree more. And uh, yeah, there's a wider subject matter for um, those in the game to look at player welfare and just how many games are being put through. And uh, as much as I'm enjoying enjoying watching this Euros, I remember saying a year ago, this tournament had no business taking place. And I stand by that. But anyway, it has taken place or is taking place. And uh, we will move on to the uh, next day's action, uh, which saw England, Croatia, which ended in a 1-0 win for England. Uh, on the same day, we saw Group C get underway with Austria 3, North Macedonia 1, more on that one in a moment, and Netherlands 3, Ukraine 2, which was a bit of a thriller. Um In the interest of time, I'm only going to give one of you the opportunity of England. So, Josh, you get the uh, you get the short straw on this one. Um, Yeah, I mean, I I, as much as um, as England sort of got the win here. I I didn't think it was a mind blowing, impressive performance. And again, I think there was a touch of how bad Croatia were, um, but at the same time, England, you know, they deserved the win. Let's be honest. And um, I'm let's just put it this way: I'm not convinced it's quote coming home at this point. Um, I'm loving those memes, honest. But uh, what, would, what did you make of the performance and indeed the the lineup? Because that caused a few ruptures
2: as well before the game. Yeah, definitely. It was the lineup that you kind of hadn't hoped for, but you knew was inevitable. In terms of fairly conservative, and uh, at least two right backs on the field. Uh, in terms of Trippier and Carl um, uh, Walker starting it was a very interesting game uh, from an England perspective I think generally it was quite conservative there is now a new hero on every England fan's lips uh, in terms of Calvin Phillips because I think he's really shown himself of what he can do outside of a very specific system that he is asked to play in with Biasa asked to kind of be more of a box to box player fundamentally and he was he was absolutely superb I thought in the game uh still an absolute worry on why harry kane is still picked for england but obviously there is some bias um from my club uh allegiances we say uh, on why uh potentially I don't think harry kane should be in the starting Line up for England, but once he came off and Calvin Phillips, uh, not Calvin Phillips, um, Calvert Lewin came on, there was certainly a change in impetus. And I think generally, um, Sterling looked great. All the players that you basically had written off pre tournament proved everybody wrong, uh, other than Kane. Um, We'll add quickly to that. And I think it's going to be very interesting how it gets rotated with Scotland coming up as well on Friday night. Uh, I think there will be a change in tact, uh, maybe a bit more open, um, a bit more attacking. Because there were some key names missing out as well. Uh, in terms of Jane Sancho and Ben Chilwell weren't in the squad matchday squad. Yeah. But overall, I think from the English point of view, we'll take the one nil against Croatia. Uh, it probably means now, um, you know, on paper we top the group. Uh, so any thoughts of let's try and be smart and avoid uh you know the second place team from group f is now out of the window but it's inevitable that we will probably pick up one of those sides uh and so be it uh just got to kind of move on to it but yeah i will move swiftly on uh so you can grab the rest of the games in uh in that evening which are group c
0: yes yes indeed and uh it's time i'm going to for those um the, the, I guess the two big stories, Tom, in these particular games was Marko Anatovic was rather angry and then that turned into something a little bit more unpleasant, allegedly. Um, but it's OK because he's got friends in the country. So that makes <laughs> that's all good. Um, but, but yes, a good performance from from Austria. In In one of those games that I looked at and I went... Yeah, I'm going to give that one a miss. It won't be much cop. And it turned out to be very, very good. The opening goal in particular was was fantastic. And then I think the other thing that day taught us was that the Netherlands slash Holland, whichever you prefer, I guess the Netherlands is the correct term. um, They're going to be a lot of fun, but they are also going to come a cropper. You just, you you know that if they play a good team and they play like they did against Ukraine, they're going to get spanked, um, you know, by a big score, but they showed resilience to come from having been 2-0 up, concede, uh, won the goal from yamalenko 2-2 from the header for Ukraine, but they still went on to win it from uh, Denzel, Denzel, Denzel Dumfries, great name. What was your kind of takeaway from those two games? Do, do, do you fancy Austria and, and the Netherlands as, as the two that are going to progress from this group, given those results?
1: Um, yeah, I think so. I think that Austria side, I think a lot of people can uh, underestimate they do have some good players in that team. Obviously, We know how hit and miss Misanatovic can be, but on his day, he can be a really difficult player to deal with. Obviously, they've got the likes of Sabitzer as well. Really good, yeah. really good player. We've seen him tear apart a few teams in the Champions League. Um, uh, Alaba, another big name as well for them. So they have got standout players that can hurt teams. And I think that's why they've managed to kind of put um, North Macedonia to the sword. Obviously, the, the rather fortunate golfer uh, for Pandev as he, he still keeps... Trying on at, at yeah. the uh, ripe old age of I think what was it like 37 38 or something that man is I think he just yeah. I think he's going to keep going over the age of 40 I think he loves it his country is, so yeah. much Nuts, but, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, but yeah and no, I think uh Netherlands again it was a uh, I think like I mentioned on the one before it, you, you don't really know what you're going to get with them sometimes um they can have phases of play like they did against Ukraine where they seem very comfortable and then next thing you know they Like let two really easy goals go in, and then they're on the back foot, and you think, oh, hang on a minute, they might actually lose this game. Um, So I think it's just that it's that consistency, like you mentioned. If they if they come up against a a top side who are solid and can also damage you, then I think they might end up conceding three or four against some of these big teams if they're not careful. Um, I know they play quite a a fluid system, um, but it's almost. I think a lot of people use the term "fluid" to cover up. Uh, very poor defensive moments in games, um, and uh, I don't know. I, I, after seeing that performance, uh, they're going to have to do a lot more in the next game to convince me that they'll probably go past the semis um, for this one. Because I think, as you mentioned, if they come up against a good team, um, <clears throat> I think they'll struggle. To be honest, but uh, like they came away with the win, and that's the main thing, I suppose, for for the tournament football. It doesn't matter how you do it, as long as you get it done. Um, but yeah, if they, it'll be interesting to see how they how their next few games uh, pan out in the group, especially.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And uh yeah, don't get it wrong, Netherlands game was very fun and not you know, not for a minute playing down the fun element. It was just a little bit chaotic for me. <laughs> it just... Oh yeah,
1: for, for a neutral it was brilliant. I loved watching yeah. that game.
0: Yeah, it's great fun and uh and Val Veghorst with his uh he enjoyed his goal. I think it's his first in uh, Dutch colours, major tournament and all that. So yeah, um he enjoyed that moment. And, yeah, Mellonko's goal certainly was the highlight uh, of that. Hmm. But, uh, yeah, Ukraine, um, another one of the teams that people sort of said might be a dark horse um, so far haven't shown up. But we shall see what happens next. Hmm. Um, Josh, on to Monday's games then, which was two days ago. Uh, we saw uh, at Hampden Park in Glasgow um, probably one of the goals of the Euros um, thus far, if not ever, in Patrick Schick's uh, absolute rocket buster from, uh, what well, almost inside his own half uh, to, to wrap the points up against scotland it's his two goals and we also saw poland and slovakia um play out a game we'll come on to spain sweden in a second but just looking at those two games first of all so obviously scotland czech republic was in the england group um good result for england and for croatia arguably because you, you sort of feel like england and croatia are the two teams that are expected to go through and seeing Scotland drop points, I mean, the pressure's on them at Wembley
2: now, isn't it, tomorrow night? Yeah, definitely. I think generally looking at the side, uh, the Czech side as well, Scotland had their chances against there. The the nil on their side, um, they were very much um, Scotland and Hove Albion uh, on the XG front. front. Uh, I think they had an XG of over two whilst Czech Republic. Obviously, um, the... For any stats people out there, the xG of Patrick Schick's goal, the second one, very low indeed. Um, so yeah, uh, I think generally you'll kind of look at it uh, from an England perspective. I f- still fear Scotland more than I fear the Czech Republic, um, mm-hmm. but that might just be the added spice of a home nation. Um, like derby, yeah, yeah, derby in that regard, uh, but. I can say, uh, yeah, generally with that game, you know, Jan Malenko was was in bed the night before, thinking, "Well, I've got goal of the tournament, probably one of my contenders in there." Uh, you know, I'll at least be in the in the conversation, and then Patrick Schick, uh, only what a few hours later, uh, does that for Scotland, um, and yeah, then Poland and Slovakia, an interesting game. I didn't catch a lot of it to be honest, in general. Uh, I know you certainly watched it, Chris, um, but seeing uh, Wojciech um do what Wojciech Czesny can do, shall we say, um, moment from his Arsenal days. And I think, yeah, this Polish side, they don't create as well as, say, Bayern Munich for Lewandowski, shall we say. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah.
2: yeah. Uh, but I don't know if you want to talk through that game a bit more. Because as you say, I didn't watch a huge amount of it.
0: To, to be honest, not not massively. um, But I do just want to give Slovakia a lot of credit because I think they were very much the less fancied team in this game. And the winner from Milan Skriniar of, of Inter Milan was a thing of beauty. I mean, the... The, the uh, control on the volley or sort of half volley to to put it away was a goal worthy of winning any game so fair play to him as, as a defender so yeah no offence to our Slovakian listeners of which they're probably a none, but you never know um, but I'm going to skip ahead to uh, a game that's probably mo- a bit more dull so I apologise Tom but um, we're, we're going to don't worry dear listeners Joel hasn't run away he hasn't, he hasn't escaped forever we will drag him on at some point but in his absence, Tom, I'm going to give you Spain, Sweden. It was nil-nil. I personally, as a sort of a bit of a a Sweden follower as well as France, I um I kind of enjoyed this for a couple of reasons. A, because Sweden basically shit out their way to a nil 0 draw, and uh, also the fact Alexander Isak showed up. Okay, he didn't get his goal, but I think he gave glimpses of the player that I I think he's going to be. He looks a real talent. But the story here kind of is Spain, isn't it? I mean. Nine hundred and fifty-four thousand passes in ten minutes in the first half. I think they ended on six million and twenty in the end, which was lovely. But there's no end product, is there? And Alvaro Morata, I mean, oh, God, for yeah. his because he he went full Chelsea Torres, didn't he? That particular game.
1: <laughs> yeah, no. They when you look over the game, they had quite a few chances to to bag one. Um, Spain, you mentioned the the endless passing that they do to break teams down but at the end of the day if you don't put the ball in the back of the net nothing's going to come from it um and like i mentioned in the previous part i think they're relying on goals from elsewhere apart from their striker which is the main issue for them at the moment because i marata for some reason whenever i watch him play for spain he's not eventually he's just the, the the torres of chelsea he just can't put the ball in the back of the net no matter how hard he tries um he always seems to struggle to get that that momentum going and I think a couple of chances fell to cocaine the game. Um but it's it's a bit worrying for them in terms of where are the goals going to come because if if they're going to look convincing in this tournament and build up some some momentum as good a side as Sweden can be, they should realistically be taking that one. Um and they did have a few chances I mentioned, but it wasn't a performance where you think, oh right, okay, yeah, Spain spainer are here to to go all the way. It it looks as though they're gonna on the back of that performance they're going to struggle um but like you mentioned about about sweden um that was my first time seeing isaac play um and i've heard a lot of big things about him um but i'm very dulled down when it comes to hype around players i know they can get hyped up very easily seeing it with with english players um but he does look very very good to be fair to him he's got very very quick feet um seems very athletic as well and he's just got I don't know. He's got that X factor about him, it seems. I know he had a, a couple of chances, um, nothing too clear-cut. It doesn't help the fact that he's playing in a team that, like you mentioned, just they were, they were just trying to get that game over the line and come out with it with damage limitation um, on the end of it. But he definitely looks like someone who, um, if he has a couple of good performances in this tournament, um, a lot of teams, I mean, even now after the season you mentioned he's had um, in La Liga, might start sniffing around him, so it will be interesting to see how they how they pan out in their next game, Sweden, and if he manages to kind of bring himself to the forefront of that team. Because apart from maybe Emil Forsberg, I wouldn't look at that team and go it's riddled with attacking prowess and talent. Um, but yeah, if he can if he can come through, it'll be it'll be hopefully another one of those wonder stories where somebody has a good euros and then they can kickstart their career from it but yeah i think the main the main talking point as you mentioned is is just how how blunt spain looked to be honest sidewards backwards 70 percent of the ball is all well and good but if you don't put the ball in the net then there's no real point to it yeah yeah
0: that's it yeah the pretty patterns are fantastic but if you don't you know if you don't put the ball away then ultimately nobody remembers second place i guess and uh Yes, we uh, Spain very much have got it, got it all to do in terms of that group. Particularly given the fact that Slovakia have got off off and running, and Poland continue to disappoint. You feel that if there's a winner in in either of the next two games uh between those four sides then they're probably like to be through so interesting to see what happens there um josh that brings us to the final group which is group f we saw the first two games of that group last night the so-called group of death the one that everyone's been waiting for uh you get the pleasure of portugal hungary um what was your thoughts on this because i must admit i didn't see this live i was i was uh i was at work at the time, but having watched the highlights back, it was kind of the tale of the last 10 minutes, wasn't it? Hungary with their home fans, full support. Mm. They battled well, but didn't really have uh, missed a couple of good chances. But just didn't have the end product. And then Ronaldo happened and, and Guerrero happened. And that was it. 3-0 Portugal on the school line. Is it fair to say flatters them a bit? Cause, I mean, they did dominate the game, but I just don't know if they were 3-0 worthy of it.
2: Really. Oh, I would say, yeah, having, having watched, uh, a large majority of the game it was uh, if anybody knows my luck you 'll know I missed the last ten minutes of the game uh, you know where everything happened yeah. uh, but in generally, from what I saw in it, it was similar to Spain, Sweden, but there was actually a clinical finisher available to uh, the dominant side uh Portugal. I think between them and Italy will be the two big sides that play probably the best football against a side that is against a side that will be open basically for them. Someone that's not going to completely block them up. Um, I think uh, I'm absolutely surprised if, uh, Diogo Jota made it out of the stadium alive based (laughs) on, um, his early chance, which he should have in, uh, thrown back to the World Cup, Harry Kane levels not passing to Sterling in the semi-final (laughs) levels of having a man completely free uh, and it would have been 1-0 within, you know, the opening uh, 20 minutes. Mm. I think that's one of the big, uh, the bigger issues, I'd say, generally um, with it. But, you know, that's kind of early tournament things. When Ronaldo was then given the opportunity, you know, some may say, oh, he's now such just, you know, penalty merchant, which is, yes, how he got one of his goals. But that second goal from him was just, it shows you what Ronaldo has now become. You know, he is that kind of striker rather than a kind of a winger in terms of getting up and down the field. But he's still got that great close control. And yeah, his second goal was absolutely wonderful for them. Um, I think generally it was going to be one of those that as soon as the first goal went in, you knew Hungary were going to collapse. Uh, I think if it was 1-0 after 20 minutes, Portugal could have come out of this with a 3-0 easily um, just by that one as well and probably cruised to that rather than making it look a little bit more difficult than it actually was. Because I think fundamentally, Portugal kept attacking and I think that was the difference between it was interesting that the games were basically back to back, the Spain and Portugal games, and you could see just that difference of having people that want to get into the box and moving around. Because arguably Portugal didn't have a striker either; Chota was the player that was starting up top for them, with yeah. Ronaldo, you know, nominally and nonchalantly uh, ignoring all of the uh, the fixtures or uh, formation diagrams and just kind of sitting up top somewhere and yeah. getting in when he wanted to uh but yeah i think they look to me i think i had them as real um ones to watch as actual winners of this tournament yeah. and i think we'll get to france germany as well and you can take over from there um, but i certainly have but france got through that game we'll say that um, yeah yeah and I'll, I'll pass to you to talk about that game
0: yeah, yeah, and I will I'll bring Tom in uh, to, to wrap us up on, on that game because um, I felt going into this game, Tom, that it was going to be when you saw that Portugal had won the game earlier on in the day, you looked at this game, and, and for me, it felt even more important because if these two sides had drawn, it wouldn't really have made too much of an impact. But when you see that, that France won the game 1 0, Germany now sit with zero points and two, you know, the, arguably the two uh, more informed. Uh, teams in the group have now sitting on three. It puts a lot of pressure on Germany's next game. As for the performance, I mean, I've seen a lot of people <laughs> I'll try and be unbiased here. A lot of people who haven't watched France under Deschamps sort of said, "Oh, it was boring. They were defensive. They just dropped back and blah blah." This is France. This is what they do. And I think the the clean sheet sort of ratio is very underrated. The goal was fortuitous, but. Let's not forget two goals disallowed for offside, very late offside, I might suggest. And I never really felt like France were ever really under a great degree of degree of pressure from Germany, who they just disappointed me. Like they just didn't seem to have any, like Spain, any end product. Did you see it that way, or, or did you feel that they were a bit unlucky in this game?
1: Um, no, I definitely think that that Germany um side came into that game with the thought of being a bit pragmatic and potentially pinching a goal and then holding out to a 1-0. I think the reason France didn't maybe open up as much as they'd want to is because historically, like Germany, you give them one chance, they can bag it. So they seem to be quite quite uh, careful with how how they deployed, how on the pitch they were committing bodies forwards. Obviously, it helps the fact that you can have the the lone road runner up top and he can produce a bit of magic for you, which at, at times... I know the uh, the goal that got disallowed. Obviously, when I when I saw Hummels was at the back um, for that game, I was I was very worried for him. Um, but it just yeah. And no, I I think if you're a if you're a fan of France, you look at that and you take it. It's one of those games where you can easily slip up on it. Um, you mentioned there could have been a couple more for France. I don't think it was a performance where people should look at it and go, oh, they're not as good as people say they are because I don't think they even came out of second gear to be honest. Um, yeah. I think if if that France team wants to go forward, play creative, and go attacking, you'll notice it. Um, I think they played a lot more pragmatic in that game, knowing that if Germany showed up, they could hurt them. Um, so I think they played the smart move, to be honest. And in, in tournament football, that's the thing that wins you the that's the thing that wins you the silverware at the end of it. It's not as much as you can play beautiful open football. Um, one goal can come back to bite you. And like you mentioned with Germany, now they're in a position where they look at their next games and they're like, "Oh God, right, okay, we need to put our finger out now because if they don't get something from the next one." Um, it's looking a bit bleak for them. So, um, yeah, I think that France will look at that and be like, sound, we've got our three points. onto the next one. I don't think they'll be overthinking it, being like, oh, we didn't perform as well as we could have. I think when you come up against big sides um, that can potentially hurt you, you, you take the three points and you clear your head and go on to the next one again.
0: Mm. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree with that. I think it, ultimately the result is what what will get sort of the attention in France. And, um, and just to round okay. us off on that one, What's your sort of opinion on on the front's performance? Because like, for me, Popper was outstanding and and just goes to show what a pleasure he is to watch when he when he's on his game, and he certainly was last night. And the the work rate of the front three was very interesting. Mbappe and Griezmann in particular, chasing back and helping out the defense, whilst uh, Benzema was was uh, looking to feed Mbappe um, and receive from Mbappe. It was very much a, a good one-two sort of scenario they had set up. But as Tom said, I just felt they played in second gear and they didn't need to come out of second gear. And I think there's a lot more to come from this French French squad. Maybe the game of
2: Portugal is the key one now. Yeah, I did wonder. Um again, that kind of Portugal game, that's the last game um mm. of the group is France Portugal. Um potentially both teams are sitting on six points at that point and they could play out quite a drab nil nil. Um, you know, to just look after themselves. But yeah, for me, I, I'm i completely aware of how France play under Deschamps. Um, it's not necessarily the prettiest. It's, it's quite almost like the water boy. They very much play like the manager um, mm. used to. Uh, but I did think it was a little disappointing because taking away from the offsides, if we couldn't take those out of isolation, I didn't think France created enough based on the talent that was available to them. Um, this seems like more of a team that is not as great as the sum of their parts, but is still good enough for you to win a tournament.
0: Yeah.
2: Uh, I think that's where I kind of sit with this French team. Um, but it will it, it will just drive through it. You know, it works for them. If, you know, they didn't get the goal from Hummels, uh, the own goal, do I think they probably would have tried for a, a win out of there. I'm not too sure, to be honest. It looked, it looked very... Um, both teams looked very blunt in attack for me uh, under two different ways of playing. Germany were very happy to have possession and France were very happy to cede possession. Like Tom's already mentioned, you've got Mbappe on the field. He's going to you know, bring a team up 40, 50 yards within a blink of an eye. Um,
0: pace is a threat regardless. Exactly. Like you
2: can't sit high yeah, exactly. no exactly so the fact that he was seeding possession wasn't necessarily a problem because you could always get your key players into the attacking positions but I just didn't quite see yeah this German side surprised me I thought it was interesting to see that um, Joachim Löw went with a more fluid system I did think Naby would start as a central striker but I didn't expect them to be hitting so many crosses in. Um no. if I would say that Kante does have a any weakness to him, his Achilles heel is getting playmakers in and around him. Yeah. Um because he's very good at reading, you know, the the overall kind of holistic play. But get quick passes in and around him and he you can he's not great in a rondo, basically. Uh yeah. and I thought that's where they'd get get that in. And Kampempe also You know, he he divides opinion, (laughs) can be a bit rash. And just that's where I thought it would be. Um, There was a lot of surprising things there. I wondered what Kai Havertz necessarily does in a team um, from that point of view. And yeah, it was a team that was missing a finisher, really, and just had, a. a, unlike the Spanish squad, there is finishers available. Um, I'm sure you were absolutely... You know, partly tearing your hair out and partly relieved when you saw um, Kevin Volland come on at left wing back rather <laughs> yeah, than was an striker uh, and have no idea why they didn't stick him straight in the box. So, yeah, it was interesting to see what happened overall in this game. Yeah. But I felt like I didn't see the best version of either side. And to be honest, it was quite, kind of disappointing from the neutral point of view, because obviously you'd love this game to be, you know, Nuts. A great game, yeah, <laughs> yeah. See all the attacking talent. Um, maybe it would only be you know the one nil that it was, but to see it be an own goal, and you know it was a the the move that resulted in the own goal was fantastic. As you mentioned, Pogba was superb in that game, um, but I just didn't feel like it was necessarily a great spectacle. Generally, no,
0: no I think that, I think that's perfectly fair, and I'm I'm a hundred percent. uh, sort of happy with result and result beats performance for me. They'll get, I think they'll get better. They'll grow into this tournament. At least I hope anyway. So (laughs) yes. Okay. Um, Good stuff. Well, that, that was the, uh, the first stage games then, Uh, like I said, we're planning to sort of do a pod, um, albeit yes, we, we do know that there's a couple of games going on as we speak, or have been, and yeah, second games are underway, but uh, un- unfortunately UEFA don't give us the luxury of a day off, as we've uh, mentioned previously, so we're just going to try and sort of crown them in as close to the, uh, the start of the next group of games goes by as we can. So we will be back after the the culmination of uh, everybody playing their second game, and we'll see where that shakes out. A uh, couple, couple Excuse me. A couple of notable fixtures probably just to to kind of keep an eye out for, uh, he says, as he scrolls on to group stage match day two. and uh, the, eventually the, the system wakes up. Uh, so you've got Italy-Switzerland, which is tonight, time of recording, so the 16th. Uh, Denmark-Belgium is tomorrow. Uh, the suggestion is that the Belgian players are going to kick the ball out of play to give Christian Eriksen a round of applause, which is a nice touch. Uh, Netherlands-Austria uh, could be 7 all. it could be 0-0, who knows. Um, Sweden play Slovakia on Friday, which might be interesting just because Sweden play ahead of Spain. So uh, they've got an opportunity to get ahead in that group. And, of course, Slovakia already got three points under their, their wing. Uh, Friday also sees Croatia, Czech Republic and, of course, England, Scotland, which I imagine um, will entertain most of the UK's natives uh, on a Friday evening in the sunshine with lots of beer. What could possibly go wrong in a pandemic? I can't for, I can't for a ma- imagine for a minute what could go wrong there.
2: I will quickly add the forecast is rain oh is it okay, friday well, night yes
0: there you go just in time to <laughs> true,
1: true british spirit, though. True british spirit yeah. yeah
0: uh if it's sunny during the day that won't matter a job but yeah hopefully we will <laughs> see uh that's an eight o'clock kickoff and then on the saturday you've got hungary france uh portugal germany which i think most people will be tuning in for at 5 p.m uh uk time and we finish with spain poland which again could be spain just playing pretty pictures uh with the ball around the pitch all game and not scoring and, uh, and Lewandowski getting no service and once again having questions asked of his international record so some games to look out for so uh, we will aim to be back I would imagine hmm, are we going to record a podcast on a Sunday? I find that hard to believe but you never know we'll certainly be back after those games have been played anyway so keep it tuned uh, to our feed via the ABW feed of course but my thanks to Josh and my thanks to Tom for joining me at rather short notice so thank you both for your time
1: no problem at all Thank you for having me again, mate.
0: More than welcome. And uh, yes, don't worry, we will drag Joel kicking and screaming onto this podcast, particularly if Spain actually get a win.
2: So, uh, and I know... Just even, just even a goal. Just even a goal.
0: Just anything. Yeah, something to do with Morata. We'll take a
1: penalty at this point. <laughs> even, if, <laughs> you
0: know, even if they miss it. No goal, however it comes, doesn't matter. So, yeah. Good stuff. Okay, well, thank you very much for uh, listening. Dear listeners, if you've got any questions or comments or whatnot that you want to uh, drop our way, please do i do just want to give one very very quick shout out to scrolls down twitter timeline can't find it can't find it i think it was vita i think the chap's name is um he said he was very much looking forward to us break down the uh the tactical side of spain against uh it was vera sorry vera retira uh, on twitter can't wait for the abw hipster analysis of sweden spain uh, vera i hope we've done you proud Uh, It was not easy. (laughs) Hopefully we'll have more to talk about in the coming days. But thank you very much for everyone who tunes in and listens and supports the pod. We do appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, do drop us a line if you've got any questions. But until the end of the second stage games, uh, we've been the Football Hipsters. Keep your head strong and your guys trendy. And we'll see you after the second group of games.